Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Hacks is back for season three, and so is the official Hacks podcast. In each episode, Hacks creators Lucia Agnello, Paul W. Downs, and Jen Statsky speak with cast and crew members to unpack the Emmy-winning comedy series. You'll hear Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart speak to their on-screen dynamic, along with stories from the show's writer's room, on-set antics, and creating the world that Deborah and Ava inhabit. Watch Hacks, streaming exclusively on Max, and listen to the official Hacks podcast on Max or wherever you get your podcasts. Look out. It's only films to be buried with. Hello and welcome to Films to be Buried with. My name is Brett Goldstein. I'm a comedian, an actor, a writer, a director, a mechanical engineer, and I love films. As Carl Gustav Jung once said... The meeting of two personalities is like the contact of two chemical substances. If there is any reaction, both are transformed. And it still shocks me that my pitch for a Transformers reboot was rejected outright by Michael Bay. Yeah, that is actually quite surprising, Carl Gustav Young. Every week I invite a special guest over, I tell them they've died, then I get them to discuss their life through the films that meant the most of them. Previous guests include Sharon Stone, Kevin Smith, James A. Custer, and even Ked Mambles. But this week it's the brilliant and hilarious actor Chelsea Crisp. Head over to the Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Brett Goldstein, where you'll get an extra 15 minutes of chat with Chelsea. We talk in depth about beginnings and endings. You get an incredible secret from her. You also get the whole episode uncut and ad free as a video. Check it out over at patreon.com forward slash Brett Goldstein. Ted Lasso season two has started. So get caught up on all the episodes on Apple TV plus and also check out Soulmates on Amazon Prime. One will make you happy. The other will make you thinky. So... Chelsea Crisp. Chelsea Crisp is a brilliant actor and improviser who is most famous for her role on long-running sitcom Fresh Off the Boat, and she is now about to star in the British remake of Call My Agent. We recorded this on Zoom last week. We'd never met before. She was an absolute delight. I think you're going to love this one. So that is it for now. I very much hope you enjoy episode 157 of Films to be Buried with. Hello and welcome to Films to be Buried with. It is I, Brett Goldstein, and I am joined today by an actor, an officer, a happy ender, a fresh <laughs> off the boater, a cool my agenter, and most of all, a legend and a human being. Please welcome to the show, the wonderful, it's Chelsea Chris. Yay! I love when somebody clarifies that I'm a human being in my intro. It's so often left out. It's important. I actually did a little research on you and very rarely was it brought up in interviews. And I thought, this isn't fair. People need to know. Thank you. I've been asking my publicist to get that out there. So thank you for doing it. Hey, and, I, and for the record, your publicist didn't tell me. I, I did that <laughs> myself. Damn it. <laughs> no, no. Listen, I'm sure your publicist is doing their job. But to me, it's very, it's clear. But thank I also you. know that you need that sort of narrative out in the world anyway i'm very grateful you're doing this now hilariously you're an american 
you're doing this in London and I'm English and I'm doing this in America. What are we like? Aren't you specifically in LA? Aren't we in each other's cities? Yeah, I'm in your house. I'm eating your food. It looks very familiar. Yes. So why are you in London, Chelsea Chris? I am in London doing the, the UK remake of Call My Agents. And you are in LA doing your press tour for Ted Lasso, yeah? I'm in LA, yes, for, here for the launch of season two of Ted Lasso. So exciting. Very exciting. Now, Chelsea, I, uh, you are in a very small, I don't know what the word is, cadre of guests on the show. Uh, I've had, I think you're the second person who is almost a right to reply. I, I had your husband, Rhett Reese, on the show. Uh, he yeah. was fantastic. And we talked a little bit about you. And now you're here yourself. This is your episode. And you're allowed to say whatever you would like about Rhett Reese. <laughs> about Rhett? You, you were right to ask him to come on the show first. He, he mm-hmm. is a brilliant writer and such a fun really person. Is. And yeah, he loves doing the show. He was really glad to do it. He, he, obviously, he loves to sit and talk about movies. It's his favorite topic. Yeah. So he's a writer. You're an actor. And you, you have a successful marriage. <laughs> What's your secret? What is you your secret? Imagine if I just burst into tears. This was the time I wanted to tell everyone how terribly yeah. it's going at home. <laughs> That's where I'm like, listen, we started with the human being. Now let's get into it. Uh, yeah. A very flawed, sad, scared, alone human being. Um, <laughs> what's our secret? I have no idea. He's just a very, he's just a very good person. It's a, it's not a secret mm. at all. It's just, just marry it, marry a good one. Marry a nice marry person. A good one. It's nice to have a partner through it. You know, it's wonderful yeah. to have a person who gets it, who who knows all about it and understands the crazy thing we're doing, but where our relationship and our home life is so not crazy, <laughs> just balanced and real and fun. You know what? It sounds simple, but that is really good advice to marry a nice one because I don't think many people look for that. I think it's sort of frowned upon, <laughs> or it used to be. <laughs> It's frowned upon to be a nice one for a long time. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> a yeah. lot of crazy ones. <laughs> yeah, the crazy ones sound more fun. And then I had to write the chip. Yeah. Uh, so when you're, when, you know, when Rhett is doing a big film, or you're doing a big film or a show, do you travel together? Do you try and be together? Because I know you're together now in London. How often are you like for a long time apart? This is the first time we've ever done this, where we've both gone somewhere together. Because for the last six years and some change i was doing fresh off the boat which filmed in la and so that that kept us in that city nine months out of the year but he does mostly features so they almost never shoot in la so he often would travel for work and our rule was that we would never go more than three weeks without seeing each other one of us would fly back and forth and so we had good people helping us good line producers helping us make that happen and this is the first time um I've ever shot outside of LA for longer than a month. So this was the one. Yeah, that might be true. Or certainly at least since we've been together. And so this one, we had to make a bigger decision. We also have a son now. We have a two and a half year old. So it was, we, it's like, we all, we all have to go. We have to make this move happen together. So he is uh, being a good sport and he's still kind of working LA hours from here. (laughs) Because he's a much bigger deal than I am. He has a, he has a much fancier career. So He's the one with all the meetings and (laughs) so he's been great about it. And he's got a great writing partner who's been wonderful too and helping us out with all the scheduling stuff. That is very, very cool. And how are you finding your working in London? Actually, I've got a serious question. I mean, the the one before was serious. I won't fucking around. 
but in terms of like size and scale and sort of production you did a huge tv show that ran for years in america now you're on a tv show in england what do you notice about the difference in sort of scale and production do you know what i haven't filmed yet i've only done hair tests and fittings and rehearsals so i have no idea but i i i have done mostly network comedy so i i think i'm pretty spoiled i think you know especially for shows going well they they're mm. so they're so fancy and you, you always have amazing <laughs> accommodations and food and um so i had i have been warned not to expect that <laughs> but i don't know if that was an accurate warning or not i haven't i haven't expect done. nothing expect nothing uh, i did walk through the set yesterday and the set was gorgeous so oh, um, great. they're certainly they're certainly not you know penny pinching when it comes to production value so uh That's yeah cool. we'll, so we'll see I'll let you know. I mean, you should probably tell me what should I be expecting. I guess it depends because uh, Ted Lasso we did film in London, but it but it had huge scale and we had the best of the yeah. best of the best, and I and I think that's because there was a lot of money there. I've done I've done British shows on on British budgets uh, where it's like hard to get a bottle of milk where you uh-huh. just like can we get we just need a bottle of milk for this scene and that <laughs> takes four to five days. <laughs> Yeah. And, and then eventually someone brings you a small carton of orange juice and you go, oh no, sorry, it was actually just milk. We just needed a, just a bottle of milk. And in the end, you, you, you end up having to leave the set to go get a bottle of milk because no one's fully understood. Just, it was just a bottle of milk. Oh, don't worry about it. And then your scene has coke in it. I did, I did tell Rhett at my fitting. It's, you know, in the US, like the fittings are always like water and coffee and snacks and everything. Yeah. out and at the fitting the other day, it was, it was, a, it was a long one because we had a whole season to fit. Um, oh, wow. Clothes for. And I, at one point, I kind of looked around. I didn't see anything. And I was like, I, I hadn't been around the studio yet, so I didn't even know where craft services was or if, if there was a craft services. So I said, is anybody, is there anything I could eat? And the <laughs> costume designer, the department head, pulled nuts out of her purse and shared them with me. <laughs> <laughs> That's a British show. That's a British show right there. Oh. I thought... I kind of love that. <laughs> yeah, I've got a, I've got a packet of buttons at the bottom of, of my car. Let me look. Oh, done. Yeah. Uh huh. These a packet yeah. of buttons I got at Christmas. You can have them. <laughs> it, felt, it felt very maternal. It was. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> family already. So. <laughs> That's lovely. Uh, Chelsea, fuck! I've forgotten to tell you something. Oh, nuts! I'm going to tell you this. Maybe it's good that we're not in the same country when I tell you this. Well, I'll say it. You, you've died. You're dead. Great. You should have told me that. Yeah. I should have. I'm just such a dick. I should yeah. have just, ch- we just, were just chit-chatting away. about nuts and you just dropped that yeah. bomb. How did you die? I died at the ripe old age of 100. So Rhett and I are from Phoenix, Arizona which is the desert and um we have scorpions there and there's always this fear of baby scorpions you grow up being told that a baby scorpion can kill you because they have so much poison this will make sense in a minute so i i'd like you you spend your whole life in phoenix being terrified that you'll step on a scorpion at night or you'll sit down on a couch and baby scorpion will sting you and you'll just die uh or at least i did so i'd like at the age of 100 to have celebrated my 100th birthday be with the kids, the grandkids, the family, and then go for a hike up Camelback Mountain, which is this beautiful mountain in the middle of Phoenix, and sit down to watch the sunset 
and get stung finally by a baby scorpion. <laughs> just I love it. Let go. Just let go. Feel like that's a full circle moment for a person from Phoenix. Um, it feels like the right time. Everything I wanted to do would be done. And I'll just watch a gorgeous Arizona sunset as my time ends. So you're with your children and grandchildren? No, I think I'm alone because it'd be too traumatic okay. for them to be there. Yeah. Which is also something you're not supposed to do ever is hike Camelback Mountain alone. So I think on my 100th birthday, I just say, fuck it, fuck the rules. I'm going up the mountain by myself. Um, and that's where it all ends. So you were well at 100. You just thought, I've had enough. I'm going up the mountain. Well, I wasn't planning on dying. I was just planning on going for a hike. Okay. Um, but I just think that's that's where and how it should end. I think that's quite nice. I mean, on the on the other hand, you you tried to spare the your family the trauma, but in a way, by not having them with you, they're going to spend a few days looking for you. They don't know where you are. And then it's when true. they find you, you've been ravaged by coyotes, which is much sort of worse. So... Just bear that in mind. It's true. But they don't really have to be told what shape I'm in when I'm found. You know, I don't think someone can right, scare right, them. Right, right, right. Truthfully, we've only been uh, out of quarantine for about three days in London. I think the way I'm actually going to die is probably crossing a street. <laughs> <laughs> if I don't die now, just trying to get to the other side of our neighborhood, this is the yeah. way I'd love it to happen. Okay, that's good. Um, do, you, do you worry about death? I didn't used to, but I think... I bet you get this answer a lot. I, I ha- having a kid changed that. Mm. I was such a, um, almost even a bit of a thrill seeker, not in an extreme way, but loved to do all kinds of things. That t- did you guys have the show Fear Factor? Did Fear Factor ever air here? I know what it is. I know what it is. Well, yeah, where people do crazy shit. Like I did that show when I was like 20 and won it with no. a friend. Yeah, I was like, loved to do stuff like crazy things like that. What did you do on Fear Factor? We, listen, this is going to turn this whole interview. Um, <laughs> um, right. We did cool stuff. Like we crashed cars and the first time it's really hard to describe, but it was a big height challenge in downtown LA. And then, and then the second day was the eating day and I ate leeches, What? which is just such an awful, that's an awful thing to think about, but it is what happened. Yeah. You had to like bite them or you just swallow them like oysters. No, you had to, I had to kill them in my mouth. Or they would just bite me. So it was a it was a great, wonderful family memory for my parents and everyone who yeah. knew me. Oh my god! <laughs> it, was, it was a horrible thing. But we won, and we won hey. a bunch. Of we got to pay off our student loans, and I think I produced a couple of plays, and so it was very. Oh, that's great! <laughs> it was a great it was a great experience. Um, but I used to do crazy shit like that, and then having a kid just it completely changes your concept of mortality, or at least it did for me. And, and my father also died about three months before my son was born. So it, it was like my oh, whole shit. idea of mortality was just completely upended in a really short span of time. So now I do think about it a lot more and have, you know, worry about it sometimes in a way that I didn't used to. And is your, what do you think happens when you die? I don't know. I'd love to believe, especially since I've lost my dad, I'd, I'd love to believe that that you end up somewhere. I still feel, I don't know, I still feel like my dad can see what's going on and can yeah. can see my son and, and our lives evolving. And I completely understand that there's no logical foundation for that. And it's it, there's no evidence of that. But it's it's very comforting to, to think and to hope for when you've lost close family members. Yeah. Well, I've got good news. Yes. There is an afterlife. It's Ooh. really nice. Thank it's called, it's called Heaven. And, uh, oh, it's, it's a beautiful name. name. 
Yeah, I came up with it. Thank you. <laughs> and it's filled with all your favorite things. What's your favorite thing? Oh, it's just my family. Let's be really cheesy. Okay, well, it's got all your family in, including the second cousin you find annoying. All oh. of them, they're all there, every single one. There, but that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone's very excited to see you. And they want to talk about your life, but they want to talk about your life through film. And the first thing they ask is, what is the first film you remember seeing, Chelsea Crisp? This cannot be the first movie I actually saw, but I, the first one I remember watching was Flashdance. How old were you watching Flashdance? I, uh, very young. I mean, five or six, because I, I, I definitely saw Little Mermaid before because it was, there's this story in my family where that was my favorite movie for a long time. I sang all the songs. I like <laughs> got in trouble. One of the times I got in trouble in school was because I told everybody at Show and Tell that I did the voice of Ariel and the Little Mermaid. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm trying to work out the difference between acting and lying. Um, <laughs> we'll go with that. Um, so that was definitely my favorite movie. And at at a family reunion once, I asked my mom if I could do a scene from my favorite movie, which was The Little Mermaid. So she said, "Of course." We gathered in my grandmother's backyard. But I had recently seen Flashdance, which was now my favorite movie, and I pulled out a folding chair. No. And a glass of water. No. I did, I did, I'm not kidding. And I did, like, probably not all of it. I'm sure I was stopped. Like, some silly dance on a chair where I poured a glass of water on myself. You are <laughs> so, real-life Little Miss Sunshine. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I was a very awkward kid with That's big dreams. Incredible. That's incredible. <laughs> I would love to know how how far into it you got before... A, they realized what you were doing, and B, they were like, "This has to, this has to stop. This has to stop." This has to end. This has to end. I'll ask my sister because she's a few years older. She probably remembers more of it than I do. I mostly know of it through the story now. I don't really remember it happening. But that's so great. That's yeah. great. Proud moment for my parents, I'm sure. <laughs> but so you, so from from little mermaid onwards, you were like, "I want to, I want to act, or I just want to be part of this." Uh, no, I don't think I really. I mean, I always loved singing and acting, but I didn't really start to want to do it until high school. I think in high school, I started doing theater and taking it very seriously, too seriously. And then from then on, I always did it. And you said, have you got one sister? Are you just, is it just the two of you? Yeah. How, how much older is she? Three years. Okay. That's nice. Yeah. Riddle me this. What is the film that made you cry the most? Chelsea Crisp, are you a crier? Yes, I'm a crier. And 21 Grams destroyed Oof. me. I've never seen it again. I don't wish to. <laughs> I, yep. I, I it was absolute emotional torture. Beautifully yep. written, performed, directed, but just just too painful. It was just too painful of a film. And I didn't have, I, I, when I saw it, I would have been, I don't know, somewhere in my early 20s and didn't have a family, didn't have a husband or kids or anything. But I just thought the loss that she went through was too much to watch, too much to think about, too much to even go anywhere near so yeah i i remember that movie destroying me i don't know if i've ever told this story on the podcast right but in a ritu i saw amoris peros which he'd produced i saw 21 grams and then i saw babel or babel i don't know how you pronounce that all three i would describe as in incredibly depressing and then i went to the london film festival to see his new film called beautiful and he came out to introduce the film and he said before I didn't know what the film was about and he said I wanted to try something different with this film I wanted to make a tragedy 
And I genuinely wanted to put my hand up and go, what the fuck were the last three comedies? What are you talking about? He wasn't He wasn't joking? No, he wasn't joking. He was very sincere. And then I watched Beautiful and I was like, yep, that was more depressing than the other three. And they were fucking depressing. <laughs> it was so mad. I was like, have you not seen your other films? What do you mean? No. Oh, man. I, I mean, there is, a, there is a time and a place for those films. They're all beautiful films, but just they are yeah. they're torture. I mean, they are yeah. emotional torture. They really are. <laughs> uh, what is the film that scared you the most? Do you like being scared as a thrill seeker? Yeah, I don't know. I guess I must have a bit when I was younger, but I'm very jump scares. I'm so susceptible to They definitely get me like crazy. Um, so I don't really seek out horror films. But in fact, I before I knew, before I met my husband, when Zombieland came out, yeah. I remember almost leaving the theater during the opening credit sequence because it was so intense. And I just thought, I don't think I could do a full movie of this. Uh, that's very sweet. I like that. <laughs> Which, uh, thank goodness I stuck with it. So at least I'd seen it by the time I met him. Uh, yeah, I as a child or as an adult, what do you think is a better answer? Because they're, they're two different answers. I know what scared me the most as a kid and what stuck with me, but also a different movie scared the crap out of me i'd like to i'd like to hear both and then i'll pick your official one okay so as a child i saw gremlins way too young um which i want to be clear i don't think i saw flash dance or gremlins in my own home <laughs> i don't make my parents sound like they're really I mean, this sounds even worse what you you were you were left at the cinema on your own <laughs> yeah i was free to roam go into whoever's house <laughs> i wanted to watch whatever was on the tv yeah <laughs> so none of this is their fault um okay yeah i saw gremlins way too young and all I remember of it was that they, I think was it water made them multiply. There, there was something about them eating chicken. I was fucking terrified of gremlins. And I, I'm sure like yeah. you, like most actors and writers had a very overactive imagination. Yeah. And I would lie awake in bed at night, certain that gremlins were going to come out from underneath my bed and kill me. And I was yes for years. I mean, this went on for like way longer than it should have. I was so scared of them. And I put all my stuffed animals on the bed with me as a barrier around me. And I had a rule. I had a rule where like, as long as they were touching each other, the gremlins couldn't get through. I was messed up. I was really messed up by that movie. Did it not make you, I mean, the only, I like your sacred circle, but Mogwai, Gizmo is like a teddy bear. So I'd be shitting myself in your sacred circle. I'd be like, what if I get yeah. these, these guys wet? I don't even think I saw the full movie. So I don't yeah. know. I didn't. I didn't like associate them with stuffed animals. They they didn't seem the same to me. Even though, of course, they're actually like they clearly are stuffed animals. But I to me, they were a totally different thing. They were demonic. Yeah. <laughs> they were going to hurt me, and my uh, you know frog puppet or what have you was going to save my life. <laughs> so that, was, that was the system we came up with, and I'm still yeah, here. Rest, so it worked. Yeah. So I don't really anyway, if, if Kermit was your protector, you would have been fine. Great. What's the scary one from when you were uh, older? Recently, Free Solo, I thought, was ha. just two hours of clenching every muscle in my body. And yeah. I was pregnant. I was pregnant. And I remember, oh, I feel like I was probably decently far along in the pregnancy. And I remember at one point saying to Rhett, like, I don't know if this, I don't, should I leave? I don't know if this yeah. is healthy. I'm, I'm literally clenching so much of my body that... <laughs> The baby's probably in there like, what is happening out there? <laughs> I thought that was the scariest. 
and most amazing movie that came out that year. That is true. I I went to see that at the cinema. It does make you. It's 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 probably the best action film ever made because you are just like fucking hell. Yeah. The whole time. And the filmmakers are on the mountain. I mean, they're they're doing yeah. it too, which is wild to think about. If you know anything about how things are filmed, there's also mm. that entire other layer of the film that's just you're like, how how did they do this? These this yeah. whole team is like amazing. You're right. You're right. It's a great answer. I'm going to pick Free Silo because it was a very okay. good answer. Okay. Uh, what's the film that people don't like? It's not critically acclaimed, but you love it unconditionally. Okay, so the real one, I'm just going to say, and we'll have to move on because of the episodes I've heard, it's well-worn territory. <laughs> but my honest answer is Grease 2. But Correct. You've, you've covered it, and I think you've probably increased downloads of Grease 2 tenfold in the last year or and so. And if when I die... People go, what did he achieve? If it was, well, he got more people to watch Grease 2, I'd go, that was enough. I did, yeah. I did, a, I did a service. They won't mention the Emmy nomination. It won't even come <laughs> yeah. up. Just... But he did get me to watch Grease 2. He did, yeah. yeah. He killed a lot of people and he was, he was a terrible man, but he, he did get me to watch Grease 2. So. Yeah, so it's even. It... We, we now call him St. Brett. <laughs> <laughs> and even so. Uh, what's your what's your alternative? I appreciate that. We'll we'll say my my second place is Waterworld. Um, Great answer. I think Waterworld. I just I liked it when I saw it. I liked it unironically. Um, yeah. And then I worked at Universal Studios for a long time, and there's a live version of the show there. Yeah. And everybody who works on that show, they're all these stunt actors who work in the industry who you, you cross paths with all the time. And that's just like a great day job for them there. And it's such a fun group of people and a great live show. And it still makes me hold a special place in my heart for that movie. <laughs> what did you do at Universal Studios when you worked I there? hosted a live version of Fear Factor after I was on the show. They hired me to host like a no like a live in the park where six people would compete um, episode to episode or um, like show to show. Uh, Six stage. people from the audience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Amazing. And what yeah. did they have to do? What was their challenge? In ours, they did. Uh, there was one eating round. Um, they did. Uh, oh my gosh, it's been so long now. There was one with electricity. They had to like pedal this thing where they were getting shocks. And they had to keep going through it. <laughs> and I, I honestly can't remember what the first. Oh, the first one. They were like way up at the top of the stage, and they had to hold on to these bars. And the last person that was left. Um, holding them won that stunt. They were like wow. three or four stories up, so it was it was a uh, it was good for for a live show where you're pulling six new people yeah. in every time. I actually did a great job with the stunts. That's great. That's a cool job. Yeah, I loved it. I loved. It. I did that for maybe three years, and it was not not far out of college, and it was such a great job. I mean, I worked with the coolest people. It's how I first met improvisers and started doing improv, and I had health insurance. It was wonderful. <laughs> I loved it. I- do you have an improv group or did you have Not an anymore. Group? I did. I did for a long time. I don't what I don't were they know. Called? Well, there were there were many, but the longest one was an all female group called Duchess Riot that we did about 7 Duchess years. Duchess Riot. Together. Yeah. Right. Yeah. About 7 years together. And and most of that group is still some of my best friends. We had a and we had an awesome run. We had a great time together. Yeah. At, some, at some point we'll do improv again, but we just we just kind of did it, you know, you do, you do yeah. it for so long and then you start to, I don't know, you get married and you have kids and you get old. <laughs> no, no, no. What's no. The... <laughs> You're like, don't tell me that's how it ends. <laughs> just genuinely sent me into a spiral. Oh my God. I'm sorry. Uh. No, you just, it, it, 
it's truly like it just evolved into our friendship and now it's just our day-to-day lives and we still have just as much fun together. Um, That's good. Just don't have to, you know, drive all over the city and go to all the comedy festivals. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All that stuff anymore. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Hacks is back for season three, and so is the official Hacks podcast. In each episode, Hacks creators Lucia and Yellow, Paul W. Downs, and Jen Stadsky speak with cast and crew members to unpack the Emmy-winning comedy series. You'll hear Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart speak to their on-screen dynamic, along with Hacks writer and actor Pat Regan, on how their improv experience helped them when shooting scenes and what it was like writing scripts for specific actors. You'll also hear from crew members like the costume designers on what it was like creating the world that Deborah and Ava inhabit. Hear stories from the show's writer's room, on-set antics, and more. Watch Hacks streaming exclusively on Max and listen to the official Hacks podcast on Max or wherever you get your podcasts. What's the film that you used to love? You loved it, but you've watched it recently and you've gone, oh, no, I don't like this anymore. This also might be well-worn territory. I'm not sure. But, well, I was going to say Grease, but it's not that I don't like it anymore. It's just that it doesn't it doesn't hold up as what it used to mean to me as a teenager. I mean, it, it seems like this wonderful love story. And then upon, you know, you view it through adult eyes and you view it by today's standards. And there's like nothing about the messaging of that movie that's healthy. <laughs> good so, true. so obvious stuff that you could see even then the, the some yeah. of the awful lyrics and then but that are just so date rapey and then there's but then then there's just the way the whole movie ends <laughs> that the whole the moral is, is like, oh, he's like, i'll change for her and she's like oh and i'll change for him and they both come to this place where they're like i'll just completely alter my entire personality and everything about mm-hmm. me will change and that'll be yeah. good for you and then for whatever the reason they're like oh no the girl you'll stay you'll keep it you keep the yeah. new look. I'll go back to the way I was before. <laughs> yeah, never discussed. They don't have a discussion. It's just understood. And then, yeah. oh, oh, right, you you change for me then. We'll stick with that. And then we'll get in my car that flies, by the way, I didn't mention. What? We'll fly on off. Fly on oh, I off. didn't mention the car flies. The end. Yeah. And by today's standards, the flying car is the least problematic part of the ending. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the only part that you go, well, I guess they did flag this up a bit. They did. There was a, a whole scene where they were like doing things to the car. We didn't know what they were doing, but it turns out they were adding wings and yeah. a rocket engine. Mm-hmm. They, they were just adding that whole flight kit. Yeah. So I guess it, that yeah, bit, that, that part's bit fine. And no problems with the flying car. You got to get over that, Brett. <laughs> it's just the progeny and the, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that doesn't hold up well. I still. Yeah. I mean, it's still. It's like a. You know, it's just a movie that I loved so much as a kid. It's one of the first musicals I ever did. Oh, who I were was you? Sandy. Were you Sandy? It was my first first lead. So fun, yeah. You're a Sandy. <laughs> so cool. You're a Sandy. It was great. It was great. So it's got a special place in my heart, but yeah, it doesn't. That's it cool. doesn't work. <laughs> That's a story. Mm. Um, did you fall in love with your Danny when you did it? No, no, he was a good friend of mine. Mm, okay. Um, we, did, we did not, but we had a really good time. What is the film that means the most to you? Not necessarily the film itself is any good but because the experience you had around seeing the film, that will always make it special. Chelsea. I feel confident that this hasn't been an answer to this question. Okay. It's G.I. Joe retaliation. It's, ne- it's never come up and it's about time it did. 
Yeah, it did. It's here. Thank you. Um, because <laughs> it was the first movie that my husband wrote that came out mm -hmm. after I met him and we were dating. And it was the first time I went to, it was the first time sort of seeing behind, seeing everything that goes on behind the scenes to get a movie made. I didn't know when they were making it, when they were shooting it, but I met him when it was in post-production mm -hmm. and, and I saw just how much work went into, you know, I was mostly working in TV and I grew up doing theater and I hadn't done a lot of film. So I got to see that behind the scenes, how that was working, how hard they worked on it. And And then go to the premiere. I think it was the first time I went to a Hollywood premiere, like with somebody that was a part of the movie, and watched him walk the red carpet with his partner Paul. And on the red carpet, it's like you know Bruce Willis is coming up to introduce himself. But the whole thing was just so cool. And at the center of it was, for me anyway, in my experience, the center of it was Rhett, who is this wildly unpretentious, down-to-earth, sweetheart of a guy and still experiences those things in such an unjaded way and is still just like a kid living out his dream. And also his, his, his whole family was there, his parents, his brother, and some of his family friends. And it was my first time going to a big event with them. So also mm -hmm. seeing it through their eyes while they were watching their son, their brother, the person that yeah. they love. And now they're all my family and, and, um, you know, Rhett doesn't like to sit still. So we've gotten to do more of those things together. <laughs> uh, he's had a good run. Um, but it was the first one and, and it was so special for that. And now also I usually see the cuts as they go along. Um, yeah. but that one I just saw for the first time in the theater and I uh, got to hear it along with the audience. So yeah, that one's, that one's really special for me. That is in my top five answers to that question of all time. Yay! That's really, really, really lovely. I like that a lot. Oh, that's great. Congratulations. 20 points. Oof. What What's the film uh, that you most relate to? Flashdance, is it? Flashdance. Yes. It's my life story just laid out. Um, I welding. Think, <laughs> I did go through that welding phase. Um, I think it has... I, this was really hard for me, but I'm going to go with Don't Think Twice, uh, Mike Birbiglia's movie about improv incredible yeah killer and sort of live comedy in general um i think he did about the best job i've ever seen anyone do of capturing live comedy um, and he just wrote cast and edited and directed the crap out of that movie and i just i loved it it was he, he finally did it it's something everybody i think yeah. tried on film and he just he really did it in such a beautiful yeah. way I've talked about this once before a very long time ago. What do you think his secret, the secret to it is? Because I agree, it's almost impossible to capture live comedy on film, but he did seem to do it. And like, what, what do you think was the difference between what he did and what everyone else has tried? I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know how much of what they did that were the shows within the show. Um, yeah. I don't know how much that actually was improvised. I don't know how much they worked together as a team. I mean, obviously some of them knew each other, but I don't think all of them had done comedy together before. No, I don't think Gillian Jacobs said she she'd never done improv before the film. That floors me. I mean, that yeah. really floors me. I mean, that's such a testament to the performance that she gave. She was so great in it, and and they depicted her as one of the best improvisers in the group. Yeah. So well done that you just believed it. <laughs> um, so then that that might go. I thought that probably a lot of the improv was live, but maybe that's not. It was. I believe it was. I believe it was real. But still, even capturing real comedy the sort of jeopardy of it is hard to capture but it, is. it felt like it had it especially improv I think is so yeah. hard I mean I thought one of the things they did beautifully he did beautifully was making sure that all their personalities on and off stage I don't do, do you do improv or do you do mostly stand up I've done a bit I've done a bit 
So you know, you know how it is with your group. The better you get to know each other, the better, the better mm. everything is on stage, and you start to really know what your team members are good at and what they struggle at, and figure out where you complement each other and how you set each other up. And I thought he just did such a good job of showing what was going on off stage and how that fed into what was happening on stage. Not in all, not even in the mm. obvious place where they were going through turmoil and then they'd have a bad show, but but seeing even some of the subtle things. Uh, my favorite moment in the movie. And I remember, I remember Rhett just totally didn't get this moment at all um, because he's a writer and not, not yeah. a live performer. Um, there's the moment in the car where one of the characters' fathers has died and they're like driving away. I don't know if they're yes. driving away from I think. And they make a joke about the dad dying. And Rhett was like shattered by that. He was like, I, didn't, I just didn't get that at all. And I don't, that just didn't feel, I had a hard time coming back from that. Like, were they bad all people? Right. And I was like, uh-oh, do you... Do you know who you're married to? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know That's where we're fascinating. Going? Um, and then, you know, he, I think he, my whole fa- my family's like that. My friends are like that. Mm. Um, it, not just my friends who are actors, but even my childhood friends who are not performers at all. There's everyone has that style of humor, that sense of humor. And um, so <laughs> it, I just thought he got that so beautifully yeah. in the scene and on stage. And I don't know what, I'd love to hear him talk about it. I've never heard him. Yeah speak about it because obviously he put so much thought and effort into it and it really worked it's a brutal film that brutal (laughs) heartbreaking it's brilliant you should watch it great answer what is objectively the greatest film of all time also such a hard question i think i'm gonna land at wizard of oz okay that's where i'm gonna go i'm glad to hear it i love the moral of the there's no place like home story. I love the idea of leaving where you grew up and sort of taking it for granted. It's and and you know, I think we all kind of do that and going out into the world and finding your way through it and finding your people and the people who aren't your people and realizing that everything you were looking for was sort of back in Kansas. <laughs> I yeah. I just think it's such a beautiful moral and and that the wizard is a little man behind the curtain is incredibly profound. Why not? True. Why not? <laughs> yeah, but it is true. It's true of all all the big scary things. Is actually it's just a little man yeah. inside. Yeah, exactly. Everything that we built up in our heads as being yeah. something huge and intimidating is actually just somebody else. Somebody else with their own insecurities and fears. And yeah, I just I think I haven't seen it in a long time, so I couldn't put together a you know brilliant dissection of why I think it's the movie. But mm-hmm. I love that it appeals to all ages too i i sort of feel like for it to be the greatest movie of all time it shouldn't just be something like godfather that only works if you're of a certain age uh and also i don't know to me it's like the greatest movie of all time should leave you feeling good you should feel good when it's over you should walk out back into your life feeling some appreciation and that film does that for me fucking great answer great reasons yes i'll take it i'm gonna give you 35 points oh 35 great yeah Great. Better than the, the answer you got 20 points for, and that was a phenomenal answer. <laughs> Here we go, Chelsea Crisp. Here we go. We've got to get through this bit, I suppose. What's the sexiest film you've ever seen? Okay, so I think it has to be Boz Lerman's Romeo and Juliet with Claire Danes. Great Because I was trying to think, like, it's got to be your first really sexy film that you see, right? Because that's introducing you to, you know, you're seeing for the first time, like visuals of what it's like for people to have sex and be attracted to each other. And, and your little, you know, 
teen or preteen brain is like putting all those pieces together. <laughs> and that yeah. would have been that movie for me. And, and that was like Leo in his nineties prime. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Pains, who's just like pitch perfect and everything. And I remember them looking at each other through the fish tank. Yeah. It's amazing. That that. Song. And, and yeah, I just remember all the build up to it being so sexy. And I don't, I don't, it's not like I remember there being these really, hot and heavy sex scenes but just they, i feel like there was a scene where they're under the sheets and there's like light outside yeah. of the sheets and it was just very like you know hot but romantic and yeah that's that's the one that comes to mind the the, the fish tank scene boy that's clever that is yeah. a clever way to shoot that feeling it's you're right that is a very sexy but it's also kind of it is like a teenage dream of what it's like it's very very yep. pretty and kind of bright and Mm-hmm. fear it's great yeah i don't know why that's that's the one that that came to me and and i and i love Boslerman. i think he's yeah me too. quite a great director there's a subcategory to this question gotta do it troubling boners worrying wide-ons i think this is what's something... the film you found arousing you weren't sure you should i hope Chelsea Chris. i mean i it wasn't that i wasn't sure i definitely knew it was it didn't have this purpose and i hope this is next or nobody's given but for me it was jurassic park also still like teen preteen, and i yeah. just thought jeff goldblum nothing i'm about to say is gonna make sense i just thought jeff goldblum was so sexy in those movies yes yes he is just thought he was great i love a smart ass and I, I loved those movies. Like I, I, I loved, I loved him in those movies. Yeah. I thought, I just thought, yeah. Like if that was on, I was going to watch it with rapt attention. <laughs> <laughs> Your family were like, oh, it's scary, isn't it? And you were like, huh? Is it oh scary? yeah, no, it's really, really? scary. What dinosaurs? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can we, re- we rewind this bit? What the talkie bits? Why do you keep yeah, wanting to watch love- the talkie bits? Oh, I love the talkie bits. <laughs> <laughs> You fast forward all the dinosaur bits. Are you scared? Yeah, I'm really scared of the dinosaurs. So, so scared, less scared enough to want to watch this alone in my room. Yeah, <laughs> it's a lovely I'd, answer. I'd have to watch it again to know what what specifically it was, but I know that I just thought it was the sexiest thing on earth. I mean, he is sexy. It's the glasses. It's the voice. It's the leather. It's the hairy chest. You got. He's got the lot. I also think like Jeff Goldblum now is very and maybe he always was i didn't i didn't know him outside of you know him as an mm-hmm. actor but like he's so cool he's such a cool, cool like that doesn't sound crazy i don't feel like by today's standards you could totally see somebody being attracted to jeff goldblum like he's oh, very yeah. great taste i didn't know that i thought i thought he was like nerdy and intellectual but playing this smart ass and like that's why it was funny at the time <laughs> i'm sure he was always super cool he's gonna He's going to be so offended by this. He's like, why the fuck wouldn't you be attracted to me? (laughs) (laughs) I'm the fucking hottest guy in Hollywood. Yeah. (laughs) A great answer. What is the film that you could or have watched the most over and over again? I think it's any Christopher Guest movie. And if I had Uh, to say that I've seen the most, it's probably Waiting for Guffman. It's not that it's, it's the best of them. Mm-hmm. I don't, I couldn't, I would not be able to differentiate between best in show, Spinal Tap and Waiting for Guffman in terms of best, but I think yeah. Guffman I've seen the most. Um, and that's probably the one you relate to the most, is it? Yeah, definitely. But I would have seen it first. I'm sure it's the one I, I would have, that would have been my introduction to him as a filmmaker rather than Spinal Tap. I think I saw Spinal Tap second. But I just think, you know, when you see somebody doing what he does and who's like just taken a genre and perfected it, 
I, I mean, there's, there's something you, there, you're going to see something different every time, every time yeah. you watch those movies, you'll see something new or I do. Can we have a little detour quickly and tell me about these plays that you produced? Did you write, did you like just put on plays yourself when you were at university? Yes. One of, one was a, one I bought the rights to, it was, um, I think it was a Shanley play, Psychopathia Sexualis. Um, and then one I wrote and did with a few friends and I'm sure it was really bad. <laughs> but, no, but everybody told us it was good. Um, but it probably was, I was like 19 or 20. So it was probably oh, yeah. really rough stuff that all of our <laughs> friends and family sat through. <laughs> sat through, man. That was rough. That was some rough stuff. Oh boy, I hope she gets in therapy. <laughs> <laughs> Do you still write? Do you write now? Um, I don't write right now. I I was working on something recently with one of the writers from Fresh Off the Boat. Um, mm-hmm. We had a pilot idea that we were working on, but crazily enough, it covers a lot of the territory that Call My Agent covers. Oh, really? So, so at the moment, we're just going right. to sit that out for a little while. <laughs> it was That's fair. It was industry-specific, um, not set in an agency, but just too too much overlap. Um, right. Yeah, a little bit. Not not the way you do, and not the way Rhett does. Um, but I I used to. Yeah. And do you show do you show Rhett? Do you work together? Does he does he look over stuff? Do you look over his stuff? Yeah, I do. I I'll look over his stuff. It, certainly more that direction because he just writes so so much more than I do. Yeah. And they he and his partner always like someone to read through the drafts before they're turning them in and just yeah. catch logic issues or maybe character notes as an actor, like kind of looking at things through that lens. So yeah, that's great. Thank you for answering that question. Yeah. What is, I don't like to be negative. You don't like to be negative. What's no. the worst film you've ever seen? So this has to have come up before, I, I would guess. And it makes me feel bad because it's like, yeah, we get it. We know. But The Room really is a special kind of strange <laughs> for the yeah. filmmaking process. You know, it's it's so, it, it just went into this place where it's like so bad, it's good. And mm. it, it has this whole other life there was its whole other life through the like the screenings at Westwood, um, yeah. which, which I went to one of those. Rhett took me to one of those, and it's the guy Tommy was always there. Yeah, he's always and, there. And, yeah, he's always there, and that whole experience was surreal because then you're in it. Then it's like a live experience where there are all these yeah. visual cues and things. Have you been to that? Have you gone to that? No, I, I I've seen the film, but I've not been to one of the events. But I know what happens. Like, the, yeah, the audience has all these cues and these things that they do during the movie that they respond to. And weirdly, when we saw it, we looked up the row from us and James Franco was at our screening. Right. And right. then it turned out that he was starting The Disaster Artist. So now it's had that whole life where a, a, yeah. a movie's made about the making of the movie. <laughs> yeah. I guess the reason it feels okay to, to name that one is because everybody's aware. And then it also went on to become this cult classic in its own way and find its audience mm. because it's so, it's so hard to make a movie. Yeah, It's so hard to make a movie. It's, it's just as hard to make a bad one as it is to make a good one. Yeah. Yeah. You put just as much work into it. And so I, and there's something special about the room in that you couldn't, you couldn't fake it. You couldn't like go, go make a bad movie as a joke. You couldn't make the room. It's too, it's really no, no. special. It's very unique. Like, There's such earnestness to ev- everybody who's there. Yeah. Like, you know, they really, they're really trying to make a good movie. They're, they're yeah. all excited to be there. And I mean, I wish, I wish there was a documentary at the time yeah. about it because it would have been, 
just to see to see them talking about it, talk about their scenes on set. I mean, that would have been amazing. But I think probably most of the cast has done that by now. Yeah, um, probably. Yeah. yeah they've, at least they've all done well out of it in a way. Yeah. Uh, you're in comedy. You're very funny. What's the film that made you laugh the most? I think line for line, it's going to be Anchorman. Great. Individual scene, it's, it would have to be Team America. Because yeah. the puppet sex scene in Team America is fucking genius on a level that I don't think I've ever laughed that hard continuously ever in my life. Um, but I think line for line, I'd, I'd have to go Anchorman. I think that's one of the most quotable, delightful, hilarious, silly, just just unashamedly silly movies. And I love it. You can have it. You can have it. Chelsea Crisp, I've realized now that you are CC, your husband is RR, you're like a comic book superhero couple. Uh, also, having only met you today, may I say this, when uh, Rhett Reese was on the show, uh, he was one of the loveliest people I've ever met. Now you've been on the show, you're one of the loveliest people I've ever met. Aww. I'm so delighted that you two are together and that you're both very, very nice. Because if you'd been like a horror, <laughs> I'd have been like, oh, but he's so nice. Why, that poor why guy, he... that poor man. Why did he make such a bad choice? <laughs> why is he with such a horror? <laughs> Uh, it's really, really nice to see that you're both brilliant and you're both lovely. I really appreciate you doing this. Now, here's the thing. When you got to 100 years old, you were back in Phoenix, Arizona. You were at home with Rhett, your kids, your grandkids, your great-grandkids. You are actually having a lovely time. You're in perfect health. It was your 100th birthday. Everyone had sung happy birthday to you. You got a letter from the Queen of England, which was nice. Uh, Amazing. Yeah, she's she, she's fucking old as well. It's amazing. She, she's really old. And she loves Americans. So that is great <laughs> that she went to the time and effort. Yeah. She's like 190 when she sent it as well. It's very impressive. Bless the her. drugs they've got now are great. Anyway, yeah. you go for a walk and you're like, you know what they say? What, what do you want to do? And you say, I'm 100 now. I'm going to finally start doing what I want to do. And you go for a walk. And they go, do you want us to come with me? And you go, no, no. I'm just doing something on my own. You go up a hill or a mountain and you sit and watch the sunset and you say, ah, finally, I've, I've taken control of my own life at 100. And then a baby scorpion jabs you in the yeah. wrist. And then oh. another baby scorpion jabs you in the wrist. And then loads of baby scorpions Uh-oh. crawl all over you. A sea of baby scorpions come and they eat you. And they baby scorpions fill you with poison. <laughs> fill you. Until your veins burst. They burst on the inside with poison. And you die. But you die really slowly. And while coyotes start to eat you. Anyway, I'm walking along thinking, it's Chelsea's 100th birthday. Uh, I know the Queen asked me to deliver her card. I said I couldn't because she courier it. She did. But I must make sure she got it. I pop in. I'm like, where's Chelsea, everyone? They go, I don't know. She said she went for a walk. I say, come on, everyone. Let's go looking for her. So me and your entire family head up a mountain and find you in an absolute state at the top of a hill. It was pretty bad. Anyway, me and your family have found you at the top of the mountain, ravaged by, by coyotes, absolute mess. Dust, stones, rocks, moss, g- grass, and scorpion eggs everywhere. So I've got a coffin on me, you know what I'm like. <laughs> so I get all of you that I can, I get your family to help me, I get your grandkids, lift up, lift up one of her legs, would you? Anyway, stuff you all in the coffin. It's absolutely rammed in there. It is full to the brim. There's only enough room 
in the side for me to slip in one DVD for you to take to the other side. And on the other side, it's movie night every night. And one night, it's your movie night. What film are you showing everyone in heaven when it's your movie night? Chelsea Crisp, go. It's Moulin Rouge. That's definitely Moulin Rouge. It's Moulin Rouge, baby. Well, no one else has taken Moulin Rouge, so they're going to be very happy to see you. Chelsea Crisp, you've been wonderful. Is there anything you'd like to tell people to look out for or listen to or watch? Uh, just, I think they'll make an announcement soon. Uh, I think, call my agents. It'll be on Amazon in the UK, and, but it's going to be on something else in America. I think they're announcing it today. Um, so okay. keep, an eye out. keep an eye out for the UK remake of that. That is very, very exciting. Uh, Chelsea, I've loved meeting you. Thank you for your time and thank you for your wine. Uh, have a lovely death and I hope to see you in the same country one day soon. Someday. Good day to you. <laughs> so that was episode 157. Head over to patreon.com forward slash Brett Goldstein for the extra 15 minutes of chat, secrets and video with Chelsea. Head to Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star rating, but don't talk about the show. No one cares about that. What they want to know is, what is the film that means the most to you and why? It's a very nice thing to read and it helps numbers and blah, blah, blah. You get it. You know what I mean. Come on, let's all move on with our lives. Thank you so much to Chelsea for doing the show. Thanks to Scroobius Pip and the Distraction Pieces Network. Thanks to Buddy Peace for producing it. Thanks to Acast for hosting it. Thanks to Adam Richardson for the graphics and Lisa Lydon for the photography. Thank you all for listening. Come and join me next week for another incredible guest. So that is it for now. And in the meantime, have a lovely week. And please, now more than ever, be excellent to each other. Sometimes I dream of becoming an actor. Have you ever dreamt of becoming an actor? Maureen, what is it you think I'd do for a living? Never mind, sounds like you need the New York Film Academy. NIFA offers workshops, BFA and MFA degrees and summer camps in filmmaking, acting, journalism and more, online and on campuses across the globe. To make films alongside industry professionals, explore more at nyfa.edu. Thanks, Brett. Thank you, Maureen. Maureen, your Canva presentation looks brilliant. Thanks, Brett. That's because I used AI-powered Canva presentations. I just described what I wanted and Canva presentations generated the perfect slides. You can even make a talking presentation for people to watch on their own time. Check this out. Recording. 101 Reasons Why Beaches is the Saddest Film Ever Made by your neighbour Maureen. Is it easy to use? If you can use a computer, you can nail your next work presentation with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Oh, thanks, my name, Maureen. Yeah, thank you.